want to be found uh, guilty of having an abusive pulpit. It's not my, I have a persuasive pulpit. Everybody's trying to influence you. Every commercial that comes on television wants you to buy their product. Every sitcom that comes on wants you to think the way that they think. Hello? Right? Every book that you might read, there's an influence behind it. I have an influence. I hope and pray it's not perceived as a bully pulpit. But I will say this. Uh, today, that's not my, my issue. I, I'm connecting because the time frame is, is here. It's important for us to pray and undergird decisions that are being made. Our responsibility is to pray. First Timothy 2 says that we are to pray for those that are in authority, that we can live a quiet and peaceable life, listen to this, with all godliness. A quiet and peaceable life in all godliness. So many of you are much more up to date on these issues than I am. And uh, again, I have been there. I have I've trod that path. One thing that I have said in the past about the, uh, the homosexual marriage and the homosexual issues and trying to really delicately handle that in the right way is I have said that it is often, a, 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 what is it called, a diversion? Because a lot of times our eyes are fixed on that and it's really not as big as other issues, such as the breakdown of the traditional family and the fact that people live in confusion and contention. And so today, you know, I see it as a pastor. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a, um, I'm not a marriage counselor, though I have given marriage counsel. Uh, I'm not a marriage counselor, but I, but I give marriage counsel at times. And, and at the same, and I see that, and I think to myself, so what it must be like for some people in the, in the relationships at home. And it's disheartening. It's not the will of God. God has a better way for us than some of the family examples that we see today. I'm telling you, God is not the author of confusion. He is the author of peace. There should be peace in your house. Come on, somebody. Amen. So what I want to do today is I'm not going to take a lot of your time in preaching you a long, very theological sermon. I've got one main point that I'm going to make today, and I'm going to highlight it through a couple of examples, but I want to culminate with prayer. The sermon's going to be shrunk, and everybody said, thank God, but I don't believe him. I'm sure that's what you're saying in your mind. Thank God, but I don't believe him. Uh, but I want to create that opportunity for us to pray for people and, uh, and to truly stand for our own marriage, you know, and no matter what. Uh, you know, part of this you play. And I'll, I'll share with you in just a moment what I mean. Take the one passage of Scripture, it's 1 Peter chapter 3, the seventh verse is where we're going to be. Now, in this particular passage of Scripture, what we see here is I've chosen it. I have done, I have, I have, I have done what I have actually exhorted people not to do. I've taken it out of its context and severed it from the first six verses which are dealing with um, roles in marriage. And Peter spent quite a bit of time addressing the role of the female in marriage. One brief verse of Scripture addressing the role in marriage. But it's what he said to the male that, excuse me, that I believe that it does not take from the text to apply it to the marriage unit as a whole. So if you have found that verse, you found it because it's on the screen in front of you, why don't we still be true to our uh, tradition by honoring the Word of God as we stand today and reading today? Let's read this. King James English says this, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. And for those of you may mostly know that that simply means the physically weaker um, and as being heirs together of the grace of life. So here the apostle 
is exhorting men, and so we're going to stretch this on, onto the context of both of the male and the female, the husband and the wife, to dwell together according to knowledge, because I think that's very important. That sets the, that sets the precedence we're going to talk to. We've got to, we've got to understand what the scriptures speak to us about marriage and relationship. And I, I've got to put you in an environment that fosters a desire within you to want to grow in this and your understanding. Because the word of God does speak to you. You have to, but, but it doesn't just fly off the page. You have to pursue it. How many believe God has perfect wisdom? The scriptures will speak life. They direct our paths. Now, look at this. And if we're not, notice what he's saying. If you're not and you're not functioning cohesively in the marriage unit, look what will happen. Your prayers will be hindered. So that's why sometimes you can't seem to get that breakthrough. That's why sometimes, you, you know, you are uh, not able to uh, obtain the thing that you so passionately pursue is because our prayers are being hindered. We're not dwelling together according to knowledge, and we're, we're not recognizing that husband and wife are heirs together of this thing called the gift of life or the grace of life. So let us pray together, and let's ask God to bless this. So when you, by standing, if you're married and if you're single, you know, maybe potentially married again or married for the first time in your future, you're standing for your marriage today. Yeah, we want to stand for marriage across the United States in the right context, but we want to stand for your marriage. I want to pray for you and your family today. Let's pray. Father, I love you. I'm humbled to be the pastor of our fellowship, have an opportunity to speak to men and women. I pray, God, open our eye to see, our ear to hear, and our heart to understand. Let preaching come easy in this house today, Father. Father, let the spirit of a teacher with the prophetical unction be applied to the word of God today. It's in Jesus' name I pray, and everybody said? We'll take just a moment of time to just kind of connect you to this thought. It's very obvious to many, especially the older people of our fellowship who saw a different time in America, that our culture has broken down marriages. It's been a target, it seems. If you believe, as I believe, that, that we fight against the spirit of the age, that there is a spirit that affects the lives of men and women, demonic spirits, the spirits of this world, it seems like we have seen a strategic target on marriage and family in the United States. And so, therefore, as a result, what we have is we have uh, many broken-down marriages. You know, think about it for a moment. We have husbands and wives that are often living together in a state of disarray. Confusion, continual contention with fightings and strife and arguments and bitterness. And, uh, you know, oftentimes it's not just there with the spouses, but it bleeds over to the children. Parents get agitated then, and then it bleeds over. And often there's verbal abuse and even sometimes physical abuse that is at the end result. Think about it for a moment. The place that ought to be the safest and the most secure for many is a place of strife and bitterness and insecurity and uncertainty. The place that God intended. You know, I just want to say this, and I said it in the introduction a moment ago. God has a better way. He does. God is the, the architect of a peaceful marriage. God is the architect of a blessed family. And when God blesses your family, you'll be blessed generationally. Your descendants, your children's children can walk in the blessing of God. I want you to think for just a moment. It was God that created marriage and the family. When God took Adam out of his singleness 
And God had looked over all of his creation and he had called everything good. But then the Bible says that he noted that there was a moment in the life of Adam that he said, it is no longer good that the man should be alone. I will make a helpmeet for him. And so while Adam slept, the Bible says that God took a rib from his side, closed up the side of Adam, and from that rib he had taken dirt to make a man, but he took a rib to make a woman. And he formed her into the most beautiful of all of God's creation. All the men said, Amen. And the wives, give your, help, your husband a little elbow there. And he, and he brought her to the, to the man, and he said, Whoa, man. Hallelujah. One man, she shall be bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Therefore shall man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and two shall be one flesh. And God put man and one man in the garden, and now God took a step back, and he said, it is very good. Before it was just good, but now God said, it is very good. And I'll tell you what, at every marriage ceremony that I perform, I challenge them. I challenged them. I said, God wants to bless your marriage just like he wanted to bless the union of Adam and Eve in the garden called Eden. When he said, be blessed and be prosperous and be fruitful, your marriage can be that way as well. I'm telling you, God is not a respecter person. Some of you have gone through trauma in marriage and pain in marriage and you're looking at others and you feel the sting of what you've endured. I'm just telling you, God is not a respecter of persons. You know, it may not always be like it is right now. God can bring a change to your marriage. When I got ready to prepare this sermon and this, this teaching for you, I thought for a moment the great challenge that would befall me today, and that is, you know, there are so many dis different, you know, situations that I'm attempting to minister today. So many unique situations. Not everybody's like Sherry and I, married as youth. I was 17 years old, married, I got graduated high school at seven and got married at nine. Anybody else done that? Hello, somebody. I'm in a class by myself as far as I know. You know, and so I am 46 years old, and I have been, uh, you know, with Sherry since I was 15. So 31 years of my young life, and we have trod life together. So, but you know what? Not everybody has that testimony. And so, you know, uh, you know there, are, there are those here today that one spouse is serving the Lord, and the other spouse is, you know, uh, not serving the Lord, but that spouse is not necessarily embittered towards the spouse that's maybe here that is serving the Lord. But then as I look out in this congregation, I think to myself, here's one that has a spouse, that we had a spouse that's serving the Lord, and then there's other, their spouse is a heathen. They don't know the Lord, and they're, they're even resentful to the fact that the spouse that's here is actually active in their faith, and that's a whole other set of circumstances. Some here today are uh, divorced. Some have been divorced multiple times. Some are widowed. Uh, some are single by choosing, and some are single desperately praying for a spouse. <laughs> and, you know, and so, wow, what a great... So think about that for a moment. You know, I've got to try to, to share something that can connect with everybody, and that's difficult to do. And so, and again, here's even a, an extended thought. Some right now that I know personally because you have confided in me as your pastor, you're married and your marriage relationship right now is very fragmented. And not only is it fragmented, there are some here today that have just come through some very difficult seasons in their marriage. I'm talking about crisis at the highest level, pain at the highest level. So it's a very, very difficult thing to try to minister directly to everybody. So, But here's what I've chosen to do. 
is very quickly because I recognize that marriage and in the sense and the context of marriage it's not one size fits all here today. Each situation is unique and it's different. This is what I do know. The one thing that I know that I'm giving you today and that is the Word of God speaks. The Word of God speaks and if you will search diligently the Word of God will speak to your life and your marriage no matter what category you might fall in. It's a living word. God will quicken it. God will make it alive. You'll be able to go to the word of God and you'll be able to gain, uh, you'll be able to gain instruction. Remember what Peter said. Peter said to the men, and we're going to stretch that for both men and women, we've got to arrive at the place where we need to learn to, to dwell together according to knowledge. Now what happens so often in the church when there's a breakdown in marriage, at whatever level we want to run to Christian counseling. One feels like we should have a counselor. The other one is usually a little bit more hesitant. The women primarily want to go to counseling. Men usually don't want to expose their dirty laundry in front of anyone else. And that's what often happens. Sometimes we'll go down to the Christian bookstore and we'll search for resources. That's a good thing. There's a lot of good things from people far more uh, educated than I am in this particular area. But all the while we'll do it while we bypass the thing that may hold, come on, and that does hold the answers for us because we're not willing to study and to get our hearts right by searching the Word of God and to seek after it. You know, I wondered if I could poll, and I won't ask you to do this today because I think it might be a little bit embarrassing. If I were to ask you right now, those that are here that could, could lift a hand and either paraphrase or directly quote one or two scriptures that directly speak to you or to your spouse about marriage, I just wonder the number of people that could actually say, you know, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says we're destroyed for a lack of knowledge, people. Come on. We're not going to the source, the Word of God. We're not taking an opportunity. And so I want to encourage you, shouldn't we go to the Word? Don't you think that we should? Shouldn't we desire to study these things out and allow the Holy Spirit to take the Word and write it on the tablet of our heart? I'm going to give you a quick overview today, just real quickly. Some of you take notes, some of you may not, but let me just share with you. I'm, a, I'm an epistle person. That's why I'm not very exciting because the epistles are just the nuts and bolts. They're just it's the meat and potatoes of ministry. That's just where you how to live, how to walk in character. If you study the scriptures and you study the epistles, you'll discover that the apostles wrote to us about marriage. The apostles under direct inspiration of the Holy Spirit. You say, well, I believe in the inspired word of God. Then believe in the writings of the apostles because they spoke to us. You know, in 1 Corinthians 7, and there's a great mystery that I'm going to share with you in just a few moments concerning concerning marriage that's hid therein that the Apostle Paul, even though he was single, the Apostle Paul had revelation from God and spoke to us about marriage. He said, I don't write these things by, uh, by, by uh, I write these by commandment, not just by permission. He said, I write them by commandment from the Lord. You know, in that passage of Scripture, he spoke to the single. He spoke to our sexuality. He spoke to what it's like when you're separated. He spoke to what it's like if you're married and you have an unbelieving spouse. He spoke in that passage about what if your spouse leaves how do you how do you respond respond all contained in the word of god if you'll just take the time to study it out 
in the fourth chapter and the fifth chapter of the book of Ephesians, especially in that song that Shane led us in a few moments ago about the bride and the groom, often it's extracted from the mystery of the bride and the groom and the church and Jesus Christ. And that's expounded in the fifth chapter of the book of Ephesians where we're taught how as husbands we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave our, come on somebody, and give ourselves for our, our wives. And wives are to reverence their husbands. And in, in Ephesians, the fifth chapter and the 33rd, third verse is kind of like a summary of everything that he had said in the entirety of the fifth chapter. He said, nevertheless, he said, let men learn to love their wives. And he said, and let women reverence their husbands. And so those are revelations that you've got to get down in your heart and pray and say, God, what does that mean? What does it mean for a wife to reverence her husband? What does that mean for me to love my wife as Christ loved the church and, and to take care of her and to apply that every day? But I love what Ephesians 4 in the 17th verse, it's a verse that we've quoted in days gone by, and I had historically taught this passage of Scripture about just Christian living in general, how you function amongst the church family. From Ephesians, the 17th verse of the 4th chapter to the end of the chapter, Paul gives things that just are practical about forgiveness and, and different things. But here's what he said right here. He said, do not walk as the other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. Dr. Brassfield several, about two years ago did a, a series on Wednesday night, and he taught us about marriage, and he started at this verse of scripture because he said as believers we have to realize that God has a plan for us in marriage and that plan may not look like the marriages that you're seeing lived out in the world where people walk in the vanity of their mind we are people of faith that we conform our lives to the image of Jesus real quickly Phil if you can go to that like the 30 what is that the 32nd and the 33rd verse of Ephesians or that's Aaron real quickly because let me highlight that because I want you to think, what would this be like in your marriage? It's the 31st and the 32nd verse. Think about this. You're reading the scriptures and you're applying this to your life and you think, well, this is how I need to be amongst my co-workers. This is how I need to be when I'm out in the community. But now I want you to look at it and say, this is how you need to be in your marriage. This is how husbands need to treat wives and wives need to treat husbands. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice or with all hatred. Oh, man, y'all really shouting really well today. I mean, I feel the excitement here. Let's say that. Let's try it one more time. I'm gonna, I'll stay with it if I have to. He's saying, as a husband, you need to put away bitterness. You need to put away wrath. You need to put away anger, clamor, evil speaking, and you need to put away from you all malice. Don't bring that into your marriage. Come on, get it out of you as a believer in Christ and the same to the wives. And then he said, and do this, be kind one to another, be tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you principles of faith that are written in the word of God that we get down in our spirit and then they cause us to walk accordingly. Colossians 3 reaffirms comparable principles as Ephesians. 1 Timothy chapter 3 talks about the differences in the roles of husbands and wives even referencing Adam and Eve. 1 Timothy 5 speaks to young women and older women. Hebrews 13 and 4 speaks about marriage being honorable and all and the marriage bed is undefiled. First Tim, or Titus 2 speaks, about, speaks to, to both wives and husbands 
And certainly the, the, the famous passage that we read in 1 Peter 3, which is defining roles there. But if you're a student of the Word of God, you'll know that God spoke to us about marriage in the book of Genesis. He spoke to us about marriage in the law of Moses. And he spoke to us about marriage in Proverbs. And I'll tell you what, I love the book of Proverbs because there are principles and precepts that will, if you will get them in your heart, it will cause you to look at your spouse a di- with a different light. You'll look at them through the lens of faith. Not just for, sometimes you've got to call things that be not as though they were. Sometimes you got to have an expectation and you got to conform and bend your will and your life and your ideology and your plans unto the will and the plan of God and expect that God, as you operate in faith and as you're speaking the word of God, that you're going to see that merit, that you're going to see it measured out in, in your family. And, and, and then certainly Jesus, was, uh, Jesus affirmed marriage when he was asked about resurrection and men and women that have been married. And we've done that in the past. We've talked about where Jesus alluded to what happened in the Genesis where God said, you know, a man should leave his father and mother. So it's all throughout the Word of God, but it's our responsibility to study it out, to get it down in our heart, to live and dwell together according to knowledge. That way, if you as a husband are bending your will to the Word of God, and if the wife is bending her will to the Word of God, then the family comes together, the marriage unit comes together cohesively, united together in a common faith, and you recognize you are heirs together of the grace of life. Come on, somebody. It's God's will. God's plan and his, his, his purpose for your life is to conform yourself. Now, I thought to myself, let me share with you real quickly. I saw a mystery years ago as I was studying this principle out. I've shared this at a Valentine's banquet. I know I rocked their world when I went there that day. They, I'm sure they would not invite me back, but it was a Valentine's banquet that they invited Sherry and I to come and minister to. And I, I got there, and I'll tell you, I'd studied this out, and I preached at that Valentine's banquet the spirituality of your sexuality. Now it's real quiet in here. (laughs) Not every pastor has the courage to talk about these things openly, but I do. There is a spirituality to your sexuality. That's why the culture has so broken down the family unit and the marriage unit because we have gratified our sexual appetites outside of the only place God has a covenant for it and sanctified it, and that's in marriage. Marriage, Hebrews 13 and 4 says that marriage is honorable in awe and the bed is undefiled. I mean, it's sanctified and set apart as a place where we can satisfy the desires. See, to, be sexu- to have sexual desires is not evil. Come on, somebody. It's the thing God put within us for creation and for satisfaction and to help us to unite our hearts together. And I was studying this out years ago, and even this was in maybe, I, I was in Shirley, I think, at the time, or I might have just first moved here to Heber Springs, and I was looking at the spiritual of our sexuality and I was looking at 1 Corinthians 7 and if you'll study this out because as you study it out and you get this in your heart you you start seeing these principles in 1 Corinthians 7 Paul gives an example and so what all I'm doing today is I'm taking one little sliver of one truth to show you that the scriptures speak to every area of your life in relation to marriage and if you will study the word of God it will create life in your in your life in that area of marriage. And so in this passage of Scripture, the Apostle Paul, using King James English, he says, defraud you not one another, which means to do not withhold your sexual you know, uh, intercourse as a husband and wife. Don't use it for manipulation. Come on now. In this context, don't do it for manipulation in any purpose. But he said, defraud you not one the other, except it be with consent for what? For a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. And then do what this right here. And come together again that Satan tempt you not. 
for your lack of self-control. So here's this exhortation from the Apostle Paul, and he's showing us something here. He's saying that we are to not defraud ourselves as our spouses from the, the sexual experience because there's a deeper component to sexuality in marriage. He had started the passage off in 1 Corinthians 7, and he said, it's okay if you choose not to get married. He said, but to avoid fornication, to stay out of being uh, uh, sexually sinful, God has sanctified sexuality in the covenant of marriage. And so here's the revelation that lies. It's in that word, come together again. It's actually one word in the Greek. And it's a word that's actually used at another passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that's speaking about the church coming together to break the bread of communion. And as I was studying this out, the revelation was given to me and others had had it before me, but it was an illumination in my thoughts as I was contemplating as I began to see the depth of what it was intended by God when man left father and mother and he entered into that marriage covenant with his wife that would be consummated through the act of sexuality. If you will note that the Hebrew culture, in order to prove the virginity of a, of a young girl, would keep the bedsheet from the night of the, uh, the first intercourse of that newly married couple. It would be the proof or the validity because there would be the breaking of the hymen. It was the vaginal lining that upon the penetration of the male would be the release of blood. Why are you so graphic, Pastor Brown? Because what it is saying is that God intended for the marriage relationship to be consummated by a blood covenant. He wanted husbands and wives to leave father and mother and come together as one flesh and be united solely and completely to each other. And in this passage of Scripture here, because Paul used the word come together again, the same word that he used later that talked about the church coming together to break the bread of communion. Every time that we break the bread of communion together, we, what we do is we put ourselves in remembrance of that first time that we were brought into awareness that God so loved us that he broke the, the body of Jesus and shed his blood on the cross and our hearts were warmed to the gospel and we entered into relationship with God. And every time we break that bread, we do that in remembrance of that moment. It reminds us that we are his bone and we are his flesh. He bought us, purchased us. We're united together. One day he's going to come for us. God is changing us and shaping us into that. Come on, are y'all hear what I'm saying? We are that holy bride to be presented unto the Lord. And every time we break that bread of communion, it's a reminder of that. Well, as husbands and wives, every time that you have a sexual intercourse, what you're doing is you're reminding yourself that this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. I'm united together with this person. It is thus the spirituality of your sexuality, and it is hidden in the Word of God, and it will do you no good if you don't read it, study it, and apply it by faith in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. And so, Pastor, why are you sharing this? I just wanted you to see for a moment that no matter what situation you have going on in your life, whatever category you may have fell in while ago, the Word of God will speak to you. But it's up to us to then conform our lives to the Word of God. I believe that the Word of God defines roles in marriage. We live in the culture that continues. I'll argue this point with anybody till the very end. We live in the culture that continues to wage war on defined roles in marriage, promoting a unisex or a gender-neutral culture. God's Word is clearly distinct in defining roles of husbands and wives, fathers and mothers. If you don't understand your role and the role of, your other spouse, of the spouse, it will greatly hinder your faith. Paul, Peter, as he wrote, as he concluded that passage, he put that right at the end of where he had defined roles both for wives and for husbands.
Peter said, we must dwell together according to knowledge. We are heirs together of the gift of life. To not recognize and function in our roles hinders our prayers. So today, as I prepare to close this morning in just a moment of time, I'm going to give you just a quick compilation of some references in the Word of God that I hope will stimulate your faith, first to the men, secondly to the women. Just little nuggets of of tidbits, just principles and precepts, a little word off of a scripture here to just show you things that just, I'm telling you, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And and when you study this word and you look at the perfect law of liberty, the life that's contained therein becomes, you become conformable to it and it releases the favor and the blessing of God. You know, scripture speaks to men, I believe, uh, directing men to, to, to really be a leader in this context. And God speaks to men to not be quick tempered, to not be bitter, men to not be brawlers, to not be full of strife or anger or contention. Scripture speaks to you, men. Scripture speaks to you as men that will be husbands to be humble and to be gentle and to learn to speak life. Toby Mac has a song that says, Speak life. Come on, somebody, speak life. Men, speak life over your family. Speak life over your wife. Speak the favor of God over her. Call the blessing of God upon her in the name of Jesus Christ. Speak good things to your wife and to your children. Edify the listener, it says. Men, we're to provide for our family. If we don't provide for our family, the Bible says we're worse than an infidel. We're to give honor to to our wives as the weaker vessel, weaker physically. We're to love her as Christ loved the church. That word love, as many of you know, is agape in the Greek. And it means the God kind of love. It's a selfless love. It's a love that gives at the expense of great sacrifice and gave himself for her. We are to cherish our wives, men, and to nourish them. We, they are, we are to be satisfied. Proverbs says we are to be satisfied with the breasts of the wife of our youth and we're to drink water out of our own cisterns. Proverbs speaks to the sexuality of men. Make sure that we don't become adulterers. Come on, somebody. We live in a generation when you can hide in a little room somewhere on your iPhone and be bringing up pornographic images. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? We got to guard ourselves from all that in today's generation and make sure that we are keeping ourselves pure in our relationships with our wives. We are to always be ravished with the, the love of our spouse, of our wives. She is a fruitful vine by the side of your house. I've prayed that a thousand, thousands, and thousands of times over my wife. I've said, dear God, my wife is a fruitful vine by the side of my house and my children as olive plants round about my table. For blessed is the man. Man, get that down in your spirit. You'll live life differently. You won't go home downcast, disheartened, and contention. You'll go home with joy, thanking God for the favor of God upon your home. Come on, somebody. Your wife, men, you know what she'll do? You, She will do you good and not evil all the days of your life. Uh, you are to praise her, Proverbs 31 and 28. 1 Corinthians 7, 33 says, you're to ask, how can I please my wife? She is a gift from God. He that findeth a prudent wife findeth a good thing from the Lord. Come on and obtain favor of God. I am to leave my father and mother and I am to cleave unto her. We are one flesh. She is flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. We are one. I love her even as I love myself. And on and on and on the authors of scripture gave us principles and precepts that if you men will study, you'll get these down in your heart. And I'll tell you, one day, even if you're a single person, one day you'll have a family and a marriage blessed of Almighty God.
Do you know what women are not to be? They're not to be loud and clamorous. They're to be discreet and modest. Doesn't mean that you can't speak up. Of course, you understand the context. You are to look well to the ways of your household. Hello? Turn those old soap operas off. Come on, somebody. Hello? You willfully submit to a defined role in marriage, recognizing God favors and blesses submissive obedience to his will. Therefore, you honor your husband as the head of your union. You submit unto him, the scripture says, as it is fitting in the Lord. Your willingness to do so allows God to bless you, your family, and your marriage. Sometimes, ladies, I know it. Sometimes you have to call things that be not as though they were. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? If he doesn't obey the word, here's what the Bible says. He will be won over not by the constant nagging of the wife, but by a holy life that's lived in front of him, of a woman who trusts in God. You are his helpmate. You are taken from his side. You are pleased to dwell with him. The spirit of Abigail is upon you, ma'am. You are a woman of beautiful countenance and of good understanding. You are in covenant with your husband. As you come together sexually, you reaffirm that covenant that you entered into many years earlier. You are tenderhearted and you are forgiving and you are bone of his bone and you are flesh of his flesh and God has united you together in one. And on and on and on, the writers of Scripture give us principles, but they do you no good if you won't dig them out of the context, put them in your heart, and then begin to live by them. Daryl, join me on the platform this morning. God's Word, if studied, meditated on, and applied, will cause our marriages to be fruitful. Church family, you and I must continually hear this today. Say, Pastor, if you could give me... If you could give me one little nugget of truth here today, uh, beyond what you've shared, just a little exhortation, real quickly, concerning marriage. What would be? You must continually bend your will to the will of God as revealed through the Word of God. Tell you, that will bring together your relationship. If each spouse, but you can't just not do your part when they're not doing their part. You have to say, I'm going to conform my life to the will of God irregardless of whether my spouse does or not. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? But I'm telling you, harmony takes place when both parties, as they come together as one, will continually bend your will to the will of God as revealed through the Word of God. We must dwell together according to what? According to knowledge. For we are heirs together of the grace of life. Listen to this. This is the seventh and the last concluding point. This is Stand for Marriage Sunday, when churches and pastors are leading prayer for the Supreme Court's decision. You know what I believe we need to do? We need to stand for our marriages. We just need to stand for our relationships here today. We certainly this week will add our prayer and add our agreement to that great decision that will eventually be made through the Supreme Court. But the reality is this. I'm praying today for the men of this assembly to be the husbands that God plans for them to be. I'm praying for every young man who's not married as of yet to even now be conformable to the will of God. Are you hearing me? Even if you haven't had an example that's been lived out in front of you, young man, if you will hide the word of God in your heart, then you'll become the husband God wants you to be. Ma'am, I'm praying for you today that you'll be the wife that God wants you to be. If you're single here today, I'm telling you, if you're hiding the scriptures in your heart, you will one day be the wife God has called you to be. 
So I believe today that our responsibility is to pray for marriages and pray for individuals, pray for singles. There are some under the sound of my voice that have recently gone through the trauma of divorce or are, are entering therein very soon and there's fragmentation and, and, and heaven only knows the pain that you've gone through. I'll tell you what, we pray that God comforts your heart, amen, and God strengthens you and brings you through a season of recovery. And there's no antidote like prayer. Prayer is this gift, great gift. So what I'd like to do today, if we can, I want to just ask, I want to be bold enough to just say, if it, it, this altar call belongs to everybody. It does. Because you say, well, say, Pastor, I'm single now, and I am not getting married anymore. There's a few of y'all that that's, that's the way you are. Well, you know what? You need to be praying for others. Come on, isn't that right? Everybody's got to play a part. So I want to ask you to stand up today. And I want to ask you just to just, you know, if you, if you, if you are married and, you're, and your spouse is with you here today, then you, y'all come together and pray at the altar. Uh, if you're single, just find you a place. But let's do this. Come on, it's right at the noon hour, uh, 12.06. L- let's take a few minutes to come forward and let's pray. You know, how it's hypocrisy. It is hypocrisy for us to sit here in this church and say, well, we're praying for the Supreme Court's decision for marriage and blah, 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 and all that. And we go home and there's fighting and bitterness and contention in our own home. Come on, that's hypocrisy. Let's, let's, get, our, let's get our act together. Come on, let's get unity and harmony and peace on our families. And let's pray for husbands and wives to understand their defined roles. So if you would, let's just come to the front. Let's just begin to pray. And I want to come through, and pastors and leaders, I want to give you encouragement to, if you feel led to go through and pray and pray for somebody and lay hands on someone. If, if you're here today and you just got a real specific need of situation in your life and you want us as the pastors to come and pray with you, in a moment, you get my attention. You lift your hand up and say, Pastor Brown, I need you to pray for my family or my marriage today or if you're a single and you're recovering from the trauma of divorce and, and my prayer is for you today because I know I don't know it personally but I, I can see from afar that how painful that is but I want you to know there'll be a brighter day. God will bring a brighter day into your life. He will. God's a healer of broken hearts. Don't ever forget that. The Holy Spirit comes on you to heal broken hearts. And so I want to ask you if you came forward and if you, if you haven't, but to just begin to pray. pray in your-